And he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the life that you've brought to each and every one of us through your resurrection. And now as we turn to your word, would you speak life to us once again? In Christ's name, amen. We have two pictures this evening from our, our passages in Scripture. The Old Testament reading and the New Testament reading speak of one sent by God using the language of an emissary. We have the prophet, and then we have the disciples. And then the meat between that sandwich is Psalm 123, which is a psalm of lament. So it begs the question... And it begs the question of, um, of how do we hold things together? How do we hold things that seem um, opposed together as followers of Jesus? It really, it's a matter of tension. There's some tension in life that needs to be resolved. The check engine light on the dashboard of your car is a tension that needs to be resolved. It's got to go, or the car won't go. Um, but other tensions just simply need to be held. And wisdom is what informs us in which ones we resolve and which ones we hold. And this is where mystery comes in. Because the kingdom of God is found in that place where we hold tension. For example, we spoke last week about healing and how our belief in a God who heals is held in tension with our belief as Christians from the example of Jesus that unmerited suffering is redemptive. Sometimes it pulls this way, sometimes it pulls that way. But as we hold the tension, we see glimpses of glory. Our psalm tonight speaks of a tension between a God who acts decisively and quickly and the experience of waiting. Sometimes it goes one way, sometimes it goes that way. So let's, before we get on to the language of emissaries, let's look at Psalm 123. It's in your bulletin. And as I said, it's, it's an interesting psalm because it's a psalm of lament, which means it's a song that was written to help process the pain that was experienced first from the writer, and then when the exile took place, from a people group displaced through the exile, trying to process how life could carry on without the presence of the temple, the place given to them where God would abide. So here we are, and we see that waiting is difficult, but we all know that, don't we, that waiting is tough. Um, part of pastoral ministry is stating the obvious. And so I'm going to read to you a definition of waiting because 
<laughs> we, we all know what waiting is, but do we really know what it means? Um, there's, there's, waiting is defined by Webster's Dictionary as to remain stationary. It's something that is impossible for young children to do. <laughs> Just stay, wait, wait, wait. But it's also to remain stationary in readiness or expectation. So waiting for a train sometimes is, is an act of expectation. Sometimes it isn't. A waiting is also to pause for another to catch up. Usually used to uh, wait up, wait up, wait up. We know that expression. Uh, to wait is also defined as to look forward with expectation. It's also um, waiting to see if your ri rival will lose, <laughs> maybe in a darts match. Although darts isn't very big over here, is it? It's oddly huge in England, um, maybe in baseball or something else. But it's also to hold back with expectation or to be ready and available. And where does this language come from in the psalm? It comes here in uh, verse 2. So verse 1 opens up, To you I lift up my eyes, to you enthroned in the heavens. So the type of waiting here is a waiting with expectation because it begins with the act of looking up from our circumstances. So I don't know if you're waiting this evening. I don't know if you're waiting for something to shift, for something to change. But here the first thing that the psalmist does is he's, he, he encourages, the song encourages to lift up our eyes to the one who's enthroned in heaven. It's a bold claim when things are difficult. The claim is that Jesus is still on his throne. The claim is that he's still working out his purposes in us and through us, and he's still working his purposes out through the church. A very bold claim. And then we shift from the imagery of, of, the, of King Jesus sat on the throne to this odd language of a servant looking to the hand of their masters or the eyes of a maiden on her mistress. I don't know, if you've, I don't know how many here have worked in the service industry, but for a number of years I worked as a bellhop uh, at a Fairmont property, which was, uh, it started off as the doorman, which meant I got to park cars in the valet, which is fantastic. And we always tried to see how long we could take to get the cars parked, especially when our Americans were visiting in Canada because they always had the nicer cars. Um, but regularly, especially as I was at the front of house, people would come and they would ask for things. So, you know, we once had someone come from Massachusetts who had forgotten their medication and said, I need this help. And we would solve the problems. And I, one thing I learned, and anyone who has spent any time in the service industry, hospitality industry has learned, is that expectation and anticipation is the key to success. And so the key to getting a really good tip, I learned, was to anticipate the need so that it could be met swiftly before they even knew they had it, which is kind of the language that Jesus uses when he talks about his Father, that even before the prayer was on, this is the words that come to Daniel, that even before the moment you prayed, the angel Gabriel was dispatched to you. And so the, here we have this God of action who moves and a God of anticipation 
And so here we have a picture of a servant who is always watching the hands of his master. Why? So he can anticipate in order to serve well. So there's a waiting here, eyes on heaven, eyes on Jesus, and eyes in a, a type of waiting that is expectant. So our eyes look to the Lord our God until he shows us his mercy. So this is, we're not quite sure the full details here. Is it the people of Israel who have been shown and are experiencing contempt for their faith, probably from their neighbors who didn't believe in Yahweh? We're, you know, likely. Um, and so they're tired. They grow weary of the contempt they're receiving. And so they wait. They wait with their eyes on heaven, and they wait in anticipation ready to move once God signals it. And waiting in some cases in Scripture caused the saints who've gone before us to act in incredible ways, where their eyes were on the Lord in their waiting, and it transformed their waiting time. Some of them, it was because of deep desperation that gripped their hearts in the waiting. Think of Hannah desperate for a child. Her husband's other wife had several. She had none. And her desperation with her eyes on the Lord, her prayer life went public to the point where she prayed with such anticipation and such uh, desperation that she was mistaken for being intoxicated. All the while in her waiting, what she was unaware of is that the Lord had a heart to bring his word back to the people. And his eyes were searching for someone that would enable him his heart's desire. And so the desire of Hannah and the desire of God lined up, and there entered the prophet Samuel, who brought the word of the Lord back to the people. Interesting, isn't it? What is it you're waiting for? Think of Nehemiah. It's my Canadian pronunciation for it. Um, he was a cupbearer to the king, which loosely speaking in today's world would translate to executive assistant or head of house or someone who worked for, you know, a big oil and gas family and, and kept their personal life together. He's waiting because he's a Jew and Jerusalem has fallen. It lays desolate. And he's in exile. And news comes to him that Jerusalem, the walls are still laid waste. It's not new news, but there's something that hits him as if it's for the first time. And what happens is he goes to work and his boss, who happens to be the almighty ruler of the land, says to him, what's wrong? And he's so moved, his prayer, personal prayer life has become so public and has been brought into the professional sphere that they begin to talk. And he says, the city that is so important to my people has no way to protect itself. And what happens is the Lord had a plan to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And his heart lines up with Nehemiah's heart, and all of a sudden the whole expedition is paid for by the one that Nehemiah is serving. So what are you waiting for? 
are your eyes to heaven. It's hard, isn't it? Because this life is unforgiving. The things we face are terrible. But he is full of grace. He's full of compassion. His life is resurrecting us. And so in the waiting, our eyes are to be on him above our circumstances, waiting to this kind of tiptoe anticipation for when he will move. How, how do we wait? How do we do that? <laughs> that? That's the question. Well, it depends. It depends on how it's helpful for you to pray. Um, a help is this prayer guide that we've put together at the back of the church. It's a brand new name called the Daily Office. It's only been around 400 years, but it's, a credi- it's, it's just a, a wonderful rhythm of praying that if your prayer life, especially if you're in that place of waiting, can be incredibly helpful because when we hit these moments of waiting or coaches will call it a transition period, most of us would call it incredibly uh, uncomfortable. What we used to do often to pray and to meet with God, to connect with Him, doesn't work anymore. Why? Because He uses the waiting time to prepare us, to prepare our hearts for what is to come next. And so just maybe this Volume one of the, of the section of, of praying throughout, throughout the season that we're in might be a help to you, and they're available at the back. What's incredible is that in this time of waiting, and it happens, you can look at the figures of the script, in the scriptures who did things, is when they're stuck in a waiting time, it's never wasted. And I know some of you are waiting, maybe between jobs maybe waiting in great hope that a new relationship will, will strike, or maybe, you know, name it. And in the waiting, we can find it to be incredibly lonely. And that's where the invitation to come into community and to lift our eyes up can be so powerful. And this is often also why the second picture is helpful. So just moving to the section, second picture of what it means to be an emissary, and what is Jesus really doing in Mark chapter 6? Mark's gospel is really divided into two sections, chapters 1 to just about 11, and then 11 onwards, and the first half is all about the demonstration of Jesus' authority and of the kingdom coming on earth. We, see, we, saw, we see, saw in our reading uh, this evening of Jesus' authority, having, having authority over sickness, over the laws of nature, and even over the demonic world. And then he does something counterintuitive, which doesn't really happen in our culture. He gives it away. He could have made an incredible economic empire by capitalizing on what he could do, but he said he gives it away. He, give, he trains and he sends out his disciples and he sends the 12. They're trained and they're sent as emissaries. And an emissary is a person usually sent on a diplomatic mission. And they have the ability to speak for the one they represent. 
which is interesting that Jesus didn't send religious elite out to represent him. He chose ordinary people. Misfits, really. And they're sent out to proclaim repentance, which is a funny thing to proclaim. You might think today in our culture, what would it look like to proclaim repentance until you try to use a GPS? And then the GPS suddenly starts telling you that, <laughs> when possible, make a U-turn. Turn around. You know, there used to be, you could get a John Cleese update to one of the uh, apps, and he would berate you for going in the wrong direction. That might have only been in, in, in England, but it was, it was hilarious for the first three minutes. And then you really felt like you didn't know what you were doing and turned them off. But, you know, when you get lost driving without a map, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. You're just not where you're meant to be. And the scriptures tell us that it's out of his kindness that he leads us to where we're meant to be. It's a slightly different tone, doesn't it? And so the girl to say, look, you're much more than this. Come, turn, follow Jesus. They then have the same authority he has in verse 7 to cast out evil spirits. They can heal in verse 13. And the message of the kingdom is spread far and wide. But what's the significance of this? Because Mark has chosen to put these emissaries, this diplomatic mission in this place for a reason, and he lines it up to remind the Jewish people of one of the most significant moments in their history, the Exodus. And the, it all comes in the instructions. It says here that the travel instructions are unique and specific. And their unique instructions serve as a sign to the people that this is a peaceful diplomatic mission. The message of repentance isn't done through war horses and tanks. It's done in a way that is marked by peace. He instructs them, if you look with me in verses 8 and 9, it's just worth looking at. He charged them to take nothing for their journeys except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. What's that about? They were very light on equipment. More importantly, they were utterly defenseless. Imagine a church that leads in an undefended way with a message that speaks of repentance in a way that is, you're not, you're not bad, you're just not where you're meant to be. Come, come meet Jesus. It's, it's, it, these instructions speak of an implicit trust in God, what? That he is their defender, their provider, the one that they can trust. And there's an implicit sense of urgency. And the scene echoes the first exodus. They're to eat the Passover, ready, dressed, ready like they've just been instructed to be. Why? So that when the time comes, they can move quickly. And so there's a new instance here of liberation that is coming. It was meant to lead the people out of slavery, but a different slavery. This movement out of slavery is the slavery to sin, which entangles us all and leads to structures on the earth 
that do nothing but wreak havoc on the people. But Jesus has a plan to liberate. And it's to send out these diplomatic emissaries with a message of peace, with a message of hope, and to do it in a way that is unguarded and defenseless, completely counterintuitive. Nothing except a staff, but do wear sandals because the roads are dirty. So practical. I mean, that's what we love about Mark, isn't it? He's the, it's the action gospel, but we get these great details, like the grass is green, the roads are dirty, wear sandals. And then we wait. And so we have these two pictures of waiting with our eyes on God, and that the goal for us is to be these kind of diplomatic emissaries, not on a war horse, but defenseless, trusting in him, trusting his provision. And yet we wait, and we see what's happening in the world, and we, we hold in tension our belief in a God who acts and this need to wait. And what helps is when our heart can give voice to lament, because things are not the way they're meant to be right now. We are not where we're supposed to be. Things ought to look more differently. If Jesus, when Jesus comes, it will look, as a friend of mine says, it'll look more better. I love that, just be more better. So there we have it. What are you waiting for? Seek to find him and be prepared, anticipate. And the place of preparation is the place of prayer. So why don't we kneel and why don't we pray? Lord, we pray this evening. We pray and lift you those in our community this evening who are waiting especially those who've been waiting a very long time. We pray for those caught in the tension between the belief that you are the God who acts in their experience of waiting. We pray that you would enable us as a community to come around them and encourage them. And above all, we pray that they would get a fresh glimpse of the love that you have for them, Jesus, in this season. Lord, in your mercy, Lord Jesus, as you called the 12 to be disciples, chose them to be diplomatic emissaries of your kingdom, we pray for your church. We pray that you would enable us to do the same. Strengthen our hope, strengthen our love, and enable us to share it with those who need it. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, we ask that the power of your spirit would bring radiance the radiance of your love into the hearts of all who don't yet know you. And quietly in our hearts, Lord, we name those we know who don't yet know you before you. Lord Jesus, would you make your gospel known to them? Lord, in your mercy, open our eyes, Lord, to recognize the needs of others who come close to us. And as we go on our way, fill us with the desire to speak words of hope and love and to share the good news of your kingdom. Lord, in your mercy, 
We lift to you, Lord, those near and dear to us in need of healing, that we name them before you now. For Johnny, Margaret, Sam. Lord Jesus, would you bring your healing and your peace, Lord, in your mercy. And finally, friends, if you turn with me to page seven, there's a prayer for today, and let's pray this prayer together, shall we? Bottom of page seven. You ready? Lord God Almighty, in whose name the founders of this country won liberty for themselves and for us, and lit the torch of freedom for nations then unborn. Grant that we and all the people of this land may have grace to maintain our liberties in righteousness and peace through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen.